Hey everyone, and welcome to the Apex Podcast this week. It's Juad here as always, and how's everyone doing? It's been a big week. It has been a big week in the F1 world, certainly. And I'm not talking about the British Grand Prix, no, because I feel like the championship has been rickrolled, get it, um, with the announcement of Daniel Ricciardo returning to F1, which has come after Alpha Tauri and Red Bull overall have decided to sack Nick DeVries only 10 races into the season. So, yes, it, it, it it's a bit silly, you know, that after such an amazing British Grand Prix, such an exciting race that, you know, not even a couple of days after that, that, you know, the, the new cycle, rather than talking about, you know, continuing to talk about McLaren and their sort of emergence over that weekend with their upgrades and and other things that happened which I'll go over um, a bit later that we kind of got sucked into this um, Red Bull driver swap story and it's you know not even the first time that it's happened as we all know so we'll talk a bit about that um, talk about the British Grand Prix, supercars as well, the Townsville 500, and I don't know if I can fit um, talking about the calendar, because I I left that out last time, and now I would have this time if it wasn't for the Ricardo news, but anyway, let's see how we go. But anyway, hope everyone's doing good, wherever you are in the world, um, just mm, plodding along, as always, um, but off the cuff, let's talk... Red Bull, Alpha Tauri, Daniel Ricciardo, Nick DeVries. And it came as a bit of a surprise at this stage of the season. I feel like, if I'm being perfectly honest, I thought DeVries would have been given at least till his home race in uh, Zandvoort, which would come after the mid-season break. Um, and a few people had speculated that as well, that it wouldn't be until after Sandfort that we would see a swap. And there was, you know, other names being linked to that seat, you know, uh, drivers who not necessarily are on the cusp of F1 at the moment, you know, racing in IndyCar maybe they are. You've also got Liam Lawson, who, you know, to me, arguably is the next Red Bull junior talent that needs to be promoted into F1, but he's currently in Super Formula, and it would be a bit silly to pull him out in the middle of that championship, which he's sitting second in at the moment, not too far off the leader, and has won races um, to put him into F1 straight away. Uh, Looking at DeVries' results, so, you know, it's been pretty miserable from the outset, and I think his best result, 12th there at the Monaco Grand Prix while his teammate Yuki Tsunoda has has scored points and I've got to say to to start off with coming into this season I had confidence I had a degree of confidence that we would see an interesting battle there or a dynamic um because Tsunoda has gradually improved over his three years at AlphaTauri and let's not forget that Yuki was, I don't know, if not worse in terms of, you know, his, his skill and his performances in his first year than DeVries, 
um, even though the car was a lot better back in 2021 when he debuted and was able to score points. The car this year for Alpha Tauri, like the whole team itself is is a bit of a train wreck at the moment, and that's a whole nother story. And we know that next year, um, Franz Tost is stepping down as team principal. You've got Peter Bayer from the FIA coming in to take a CEO role and Laurent Mekis from Ferrari going over to do a team principal kind of role. And, you know, the development of, of that car will be a lot more closely aligned to the Red Bull, which, you know, should have been the case for for the whole time. But they seem to kind of branch away sometimes and then decide to come back, you know, with their tail between their legs. It it. it doesn't work you know they don't have the resources and whatnot to be able to stand on their own feet it seems but you know putting the the performance of the car aside which is an absolute dog De Vries has not been able to perform on Sonoda's level this season and you've got to for those who are like oh you know De Vries is a rookie and you know he should be given a bit more slack yes he should have been cut more slack this is very very brutal indeed but He's not necessarily a traditional rookie where he's just been thrown in from the junior formula into into Formula One. He's got a lot of racing experience. He's been doing sports cars for a long time. His path through the junior formula, if you look at his F3 and F2 campaigns, it took him a while to actually progress through them. And then eventually when he did win the F2 title, it was perhaps, you know, without disrespect to everyone involved it was probably one of the more weaker fields in f2 history and if he didn't win like you know so many people have said um if he didn't win that year then you know what would he what what is it all about and then obviously going over to formula e where he was with uh the dominant mercedes team at the time and was able to win a championship um it wasn't able to retain that championship the year after his teammate stoffel van dorn won it uh and then yeah you know being a part of the Mercedes family and everything, you know, he was dropped in to the Williams seat as a um, substitute for Alex Albon last year at Monza and performed quite well, you know, there's an argument to be made that perhaps, you know, Albon would have done better in that performance, but, you know, given the limited preparation, we should give De Vries a bit of credit, um, and then, yeah, coming into this year, apparently, according to some people, He's been a bit difficult to to deal with. He's very pushy character and, you know, a bit too demanding, perhaps, which is not something you want to do straight off the bat when you come into a new team and into, into F1, unless you're an absolute superstar. But even then, I don't think a superstar driver would, you know, throw their weight around necessarily that quickly. So I think he might, might have rubbed a few people the wrong way. And in general, it just wasn't going well. And... What about the comments from Helmut Marco a couple of races ago where he said, you know, Christian Horner had told him, oh, this doesn't seem like a good idea, but Marco thought, you know, no, what are you talking about, Horner? I know what I'm doing. Um, and now he sits with a bit of egg on his face and uh, sort of been told better by Horner, which is which is something very damning in itself. Um, so yeah, Nick out, Daniel in, Daniel, Daniel, Daniel. You know, everyone knows, 
and assumes because I'm Australian, I'm, I'm a fan of Ricardo. I am a fan of his to a degree, but I also know when, you know, the, the jig is up, you know, I, or I don't know for sure, but I have a feeling that where we saw him at the end of last season, and yes, it was a very demoralised and, you know, without confidence character, um, that it would be difficult to bounce back from it. And, you know, he had offers last year when the split with McLaren was announced that, you know, he could go to a team like a Haas or a Williams or even Alpha Tauri as it was back then, um, but he decided, no, he wants to be in a more competitive seat. And that wasn't going to happen for 2023, let alone 24, even if um, you were thinking about it back then. But why the change of mind now? Obviously, he's had time out. He's been a bit more relaxed doing his ambassadorial duties for Red Bull as a third driver and, and a little bit of simulator work. He did that tyre test on Tuesday, and apparently blew everyone's socks off to the point where um, Horner was on the phone to Marco saying, oh, you know, like, I'm so impressed by his lap times. He would have been on the front row with that lap time. It's like, dude, using test tires, it's not the same thing. You know, you can't compare that to a situation on the race weekend. But I could be wrong. You know, I'm not the one sitting here with all the data and the spreadsheets and whatnot that they have um, there at the track. But, you know... What sort of changed his mind is is what I feel. And also, will he be able to perform now? Because the Alpha Tauri performance-wise is no better than what the McLaren was, what he left last year. And, you know, McLaren have made such a big step this year. They've been getting on with their work without fuss in terms of the drivers. You know, Oscar Piastri doing an amazing job, and we'll talk more about that when we talk about the British Grand Prix. But is he going to rediscover that mojo? And that's the big question, and, like, I can't answer that now. Um, but it's going to be interesting because, yeah, going back to a team with which he was at the start of his career, it's a team that's, you know, supposed to be a development team, and I'm sure... You know, AlphaTauri will be able to AlphaTauri will be able to use him, you know, and his knowledge to develop the car moving forwards. But then again, Ricardo's never had the best sort of technical insight. If you think back to why he was struggling at McLaren, it was because yeah, he couldn't really dial in as well as Lando could, and you know, adapt himself to. Um, a car that is that bad or like is very difficult to drive so you know I really don't know how this is going to plan out I'm not a fan of the way this has happened um, and the choice of driver that you know AlphaTauri have gone for yes it puts Ricardo in the shopping window to potentially be on the cusp of a return to Red Bull Racing, whether it's as early as next year, because I feel like if Checo's um, form continues to spiral and his confidence is shot, I feel like, you know, come end of the season, he might even get a tap on the shoulder from from Marco and from Horner and they'll be like, well, you know, I know you got a contract for next year, but, you know, I think it would just be amicable if we part ways you know and that's how it'll come 
that's how it'll be portrayed in the media is that you know they they mutually agreed to part ways i'm sure it'll be a lot more vicious and and violent and then yeah the return of the honey badger to red bull where he left in 2018 where you know i'm not afraid to say now in hindsight that in agreement with what horner said is that he was running away from a fight with max verstappen and you know at that time when he made the decision to go to renault you know everyone would have been hoping except for horner of course everyone would have been hoping that you know he pulls it off you know he's able to go and lead another team to front running ways and whatnot but it it just didn't happen and when things were when things were just starting to look good with Renault they were looking a lot more competitive he decides to leave and go to McLaren and I think that's where the frustration and perhaps a loss of um, loss of respect comes, you know, as much as I love McLaren, McLaren and my team, and a lot of people are McLaren fans, I think to, you know, break that contract with Renault, to walk away from what they were doing, I'm sure, like, I'm not sure if the trajectory would have been the same where, where Renault are at the moment with the transition over to Alpine and then another 100 race plan to the front and being, you know, shouted at by Laurent Rossi, the boss, I don't know, but at the end of the day, in hindsight, it's fair to say, you know, he shouldn't have left um, Red Bull, yes, the team would have become Max's, as was the trajectory at that point, but they also became a world championship winning team, and one of the most dominant teams in the sport in, you know, the last two, three decades, if you want to say. Um, they're still unbeaten this year with with wins. Um, and if, you know, Ricardo's a better driver than Perez, which, you know, many people think he was or is, then he could have found himself in a position that Nico Rosberg was in in 2016 and was able to challenge his more you know, popular or whatever you want to call it, more skilled teammate to the championship and perhaps walked away with something. I don't know. It's a long story and a long discussion for another time because you could argue, oh yeah, the second driver at Red Bull is never going to be put in a Rosberg-style position. Just look at Mark Webber, how many times he was kind of screwed out of the championship by Red Bull. But anyway, it's... It's happened, Ricardo's back on the grid, rather than feeling happy like I should, it's difficult not to because this is again an example of the Red Bull system being a bit of a joke, you know, they, they had a good run for so many years, they got the likes of Vettel in to win championships, Verstappen obviously currently, Ricardo was a race winner, but other than that, who else has really stood out for them, you know, they cast aside Albon, um, to the point where he was left to take a year out, and then when he came back with Williams, you know, it's, he's a completely changed driver, Gasly, yes, he did go back to AlphaTauri and win a race, um, but now he's out of there, Carlos Sainz has made a name for himself outside the Red Bull family, you know, now with Ferrari, but even better at McLaren, I thought, uh, Brendan Hartley didn't do much, and he was highly rated, he came in from, uh, winning for Porsche and sports cars in the WEC championship, 
the the list goes on. Danny Kvyat, it's it's a bit of a joke, and you know with what they've got now, you know who they've got now. They've got the likes of Liam Lawson, who mentioned earlier. If he isn't in an AlphaTauri seat next year, then what what to make of the system, you know, and put him in there and give him a couple of years to develop before trying to throw him into the fire pit of Red Bull, you know, it's it's really, it's a real tricky situation, and Awasa as well, people talking about Aimu Awasa, who's currently in F2, being an option to Jahan Daruvala, like they're, they're, there's a long list of drivers who are there, but who's going to be the right one, who's going to flourish in that sort of situation, and it's interesting hearing Ricardo even talk about how, you know, the mindset you've got to be in when you're racing for, you know, Toro Rosso or Alpha Tauri, whatever they're going to be called next year, um, is that you've got to sort of fight like it's your last race every race kind of thing, and, you know, it's, it's a bit, it's a bit, you know, medieval in my eyes, but at the same time, it's, it's a lot, so, and yeah, Let's talk about Perez, for example. Like, that was a very left-field sort of signing for them because they had chewed out all their, you know, junior drivers who was left to take, but, you know, someone externally. And, yeah, you know, and now people are giving Red Bull lots of flack for that. So, anyway, I hope I hope that was coherent enough uh, sharing of my thoughts on the whole situation. It'll be interesting, obviously, to see now how Ricardo fares in his first race back, which will be in Hungary next weekend. And also, it is a circuit that he does pretty well at. He's been on the podium. He's won there, of course, in 2014. But what what can he promise? What can be promised in that Alpha Tauri? Seriously. Right. Let's talk about the British Grand Prix. Did you know there was a British Grand Prix last weekend? No, because it feels like we're talking about the Red Bull Grand Prix um, of, you know, sacking and hiring drivers. I know that didn't sound as, as witty and, and intelligent as I wanted it to be, but anyway. Um, it was a thrilling race. It was such a great race, and, you know, not even including the fact that McLaren were the second fastest team to Red Bull all weekend and were on the podium for the first time since Imola last year. But, you know, it was a thrilling race. And yes, Max Verstappen won. It's inevitable. Let's not beat around the bush with that one. But it didn't tell, that result didn't tell the tale of the race. McLaren emerged firmly as the second fastest team to Red Bull with the upgrades on the both cars now. So the upgrades that Lando was running in Austria have now come over to Oscar Piastri's car, but still Oscar doesn't have that upgraded front wing that they kind of fast-tracked for Silverstone as well that went straight onto Lando's car. Lando was on the front row for the first time since uh, Sochi in 2021 where he was on pole position and lost the opportunity to win that race in the dying stages um, while Piastri qualified third fastest and only a tenth of his teammate without that front wing. And that like, the way they were lighting up the timing screens and qualifying was just sensational. And it was just like, oh, please tell me this is not a dream. Please tell me this is not a dream. Given the fact that they, 
you know, shot up to provisional pole a couple of times, I believe as well. I'm not too sure, but they were genuinely quicker than the likes of Mercedes and Aston Martin and and Ferrari even. Like the worry for race day was that you know Ferrari, who were qualified fourth and fifth behind the McLarens, that they would have just um, swallowed them up for in race spec, but no, the McLarens looked after their bet tires better than the Ferraris, which was a bit of a surprise. And the likes of Mercedes and Aston Martin, you know, it's become a bit of a trend in particular for Aston Martin, because all they were all the rage earlier on in the season that their car just doesn't seem to like high speed circuits or high speed corners in particular, those fast flowing corners that we had at circuits like Barcelona and, and Austria and now Silverstone. They just, are not there and you know all that hype has sort of dwindled away and now we're talking about McLaren potentially being the second best team to Red Bull but they've still also identified that um, low speed circuits and low speed corners are going to be their Achilles heel but they seem to be moving in quite a good direction and also having to perhaps you know work on how they manage their tires in warmer conditions which we saw in Austria but then at Silverstone it was a lot cooler which you know how do they get those hard tires working I have no idea you know which we'll talk about a bit um, shortly but that was that was sort of the picture of qualifying we'll talk about Perez and all that a bit later but the start the start McLaren leading the British Grand Prix going into the first corner. Oh my goodness. I don't know if they turn up the speakers for the crowd noises at Silverstone, but every year it seems whenever something happens that the fans like um, in the race at the British Grand Prix, you just can hear that roar through the crowd or through the, the TV and it's louder than the commentators speaking, I kid you not, it is incredible, it's such a vibe and an atmosphere, but Lando took the start, um, took the lead at the start, and led for four laps, I think it was, before Max retook the lead, Um, Oscar as well, I think he was described by Martin Brundle as a pit bull on the opening lap, just not wanting to back off Max, you know, and he pretty much pushed him all the way to Cops, I think, and they weren't side by side to at Cops, into Cops, not like 2021 with, with Hamilton, but they were coming um, side by side down the hangar straight, you know, and Oscar just didn't want to leave him, but eventually the Red Bull got away. Uh, and then when Max did retake the lead on lap five, Lando didn't resist. And yes, it's a bit, that was a bit of a, a thorn in the side for a few people. Um, but I just thought that it wasn't worth, you know, trying to defend against that Red Bull. I mean, McLaren being in that position, you know, after so long is, was quite um, uplifting enough that why risk throwing away a likely podium finish on the day to to try and battle with Max, who, you know, let's not beat around the bush with Max, is that, you know, when you go to war with Max, he puts it all on the table, just ask George Russell back in Baku, um, or even, you know, Lewis Hamilton over the years. So I think the only way to really challenge Max is to have a car that's just as good as the Red Bull. So, you know, that's not saying that, you know, 
no one is going to beat Max. It's just, yeah, first you need equal machinery and then let's see whose talent is greater than um, the others. So, yeah, it wasn't worth it. Max sailed off into the distance, whatever. Um, but then the way that both the McLarens kind of settled into their race in the first stint was great. They gapped the Ferraris behind. Their tyres were working really well in the cool conditions. And something that doesn't or hasn't been mentioned too much I feel maybe it has and I just haven't seen it I don't know but Oscar Piastri was quicker or you know in that opening stint against Lando whether Lando burned up his tires or whatever more so but there was a moment I think on the radio where um, they had to tell Oscar to you know hold station or whatever we need to build a gap over the Ferraris so even without the new front wing Oscar was looking pretty racy, um, looking really quick. So, you know, say say of that what you will. And I did have a good little, um, you know, not, maybe it was a rant, maybe it wasn't, but I did have a good little um, talk on the Grid Talk show after qualifying about Piastri and, like, how I feel like he's been quite underrated this year because of the shoes that he's filling at the McLaren team and yes the competitiveness of the car or like the lack of performance from the car hasn't really flattered his ability but he demonstrated you know the utmost maturity for a rookie (laughs) you know we're talking about DeVries being a rookie but he demonstrated so much maturity in this race he was quite unflappable and then for then what happened later in the race as well which we'll go into a bit later um to not lose his cool over that as well like I'm not saying he's going to be world champion tomorrow but this is a driver that needs to be taken seriously and you've got to praise McLaren and Zach Brown for making that decision to right cut your losses with Ricardo it's not working it's not going to get any better this guy's the next best thing, and we need him ASAP. So, you know, that's more egg on the face of Alpine, Otmar Zafnauer, and, and Laurent Rossi um, for making a hash of managing he, that situation with him last year. But hats off to, to Zach Brown. I know Zach Brown gets a lot of flack from all corners of the internet. Not, you know, deservedly gotta say it's just because oh he did dan a dirty i mean grow up guys it's f1 it it can be a bit ruthless sometimes so but let's not don't forget about praising the the person who's taken over and is doing a pretty good job i'm sure those people probably wouldn't care a dime for that so you know we'll, we'll see what happens when piastri runs rings around the alpha towery in which ricardo's in as well so yeah we'll move that move on uh going into the pit stop phase charles leclerc was the first of the front runners to pit on lap 19 a bit early if you ask me um as carlos Sainz came in on lap 27 and then george russell who actually started the race on a used set of softs was in on lap 29 um he was running ahead of his teammate lewis hamilton of course who lost places after going wide um in the opening sector while battling fernando alonso his old teammate so he only qualified seventh did hamilton but was able to sort of work his way back in the race he was kind of he was lucked 
Um, he was on the right side of the safety car as well in terms of his pit stop because uh, he, along with the likes of Verstappen and, and Lando, did get that cheap pit stop on lap 34 when the safety car came out after Kevin Magnussen's car had caught fire or like the engine blew up and there was fire coming from the rear of the car on the Wellington Strait. So Max in, Lando in, Hamilton in. And interestingly, Lando went on a new set of hards while Max and Hamilton were on a new set of softs. And, you know, the it could have easily backfired in McLaren's um, face because Oscar also pitted just before the safety car, which was heartbreaking because it was like, no, now you're going to lose that track position. And he went onto the hard tyres too. Um, But it was a risk that paid off because McLaren weren't having the difficulty anyone else was getting their tyres fired up. And it didn't matter that the other guys were on soft tyres, well, except for Max, because he just took off into the distance and you never saw him again. But, you know, Hamilton behind Lando on the restart should have been able to get past. And then also George Russell as well behind uh, Piastri in fourth should have also been able to get past. But those McLarens were robust in their defence. And you know, leading to Hamilton making comments like, you know, they, they were rocket ships. It was incredible how they were just able to take off from them. And that really, you know, is encouraging to hear as a McLaren fan that, you know, it wasn't because of any safety car shenanigans or wet weather or anything like that. They genuinely were quick this weekend and their upgrades have really put them into contention to get that fifth place back off Alpine, which they have with the result that Alpine had because they had a double DNF, um, Esteban Ocon having a hydraulic leak uh, early on in the race and then um, Pierre Gasly being, you know, punted off by Lance Stroll, who was deci- who decided it's one of his uh, weekends that he has to have a brain fart. So, you know, that's what happened to, to poor Pierre. But yeah, not great for Alpine, but great for McLaren because they're ahead of Alpine by 12 points now. Um, George Russell in fifth was able to hold out against Perez, who had his fifth or sixth straight non-Q3 appearance. He's not been in Q3 since the Miami Grand Prix going way back now. And, you know, again, I guess with, with what happened at Silverstone, you could proportion blame to Red Bull and the fact that they left him at the pit exit for far too long in Q1 uh, or at the end of Q1, just after the red flag had come out. But, and his tyres would have, you know, lost temperature and whatnot, and usually not. it's not a matter of being the first one out, it's the last one out because you're going to get the better track conditions. Um, but at the same time, he should not have been in that position to begin with. He has a car that's quick enough to avoid Q1 eliminations, to set a lap time without even trying, perhaps, that will easily put you into the top 10 and yes track evolution was a big part because it was going from wet to dry um and you know we had that red flag as well but I feel like Perez is just putting himself in these positions that are not very favorable though the team publicly are still supporting him he of course he's got that contract for next year he's got the the sponsors as well that are behind him so, I don't know. Uh, like, are we going to see a turnaround in form from him? I certainly hope so. 
Um, but then the appointment of Ricardo to Alpha Tauri will very much be on his mind too. So is he going to start overthinking that and end up, um, you know, costing himself that seat with more poor performances? Anyway, we'll leave that for another time. The Ferraris on the hard tyres in the middle stint, they did fall away. So Leclerc pitted again under the safety car to put on the softs. Uh, Signs didn't, and he was left frustrated by that again. He didn't even know what plan B was. I mean, who would, considering Ferrari have plans A through to Z, um, as well as Alpha Omega and Beta, I'm sure. So, you know, I couldn't, I can't even remember, you know, what I had for breakfast yesterday, let alone um, you know, what Ferrari's plans are, so imagine how hard it is for the drivers, um, and then, yeah, he also, towards the end of the race, ended up losing three places on a single lap, because he had, his tyres were shot, but if it wasn't for Stroll's, uh, Stroll's brain fart, and then taking out Gasly, he, science would not have finished in the points, or scoring a single point in 10th, so a very frustrating race for Ferrari, considering they did qualify 4th and 5th, and they finished ninth and 10th, you know, and behind the Aston Martin of Alonso, who, you know, 7th was the best he was going to do on the day with the way their car was, and then, of course, both the Mercedes with Hamilton, you know, for once, actually, benefiting from a safety car he's always ended up on the wrong side of the safety car in terms of strategy but he benefited this time to score his 14th podium on home soil um, which was very uplifting two Brits on the podium for the first time at Silverstone since 1999 I think it was it Johnny Herbert and, and David Coulthard I believe or Coulthard Scottish so maybe it was Damon Hill I don't know need to look back in history, I'm just struggling here, um, and also McLaren's first podium at Silverstone since 2010, which is, you know, Hamilton was the one who put them on the podium that day, um, as well, behind, I think, uh, Weber and Alonso, I believe, I don't know, I have to go back and, and look at the history, uh, you know, good season that 2010, just saying, um, yeah, so, very disappointing for Ferrari. What do you do though? Like there's no, it seems like there's no pressure at the moment because, you know, Fred Vasseur is very good with the way he speaks to the media. He's, he lets off a very calm sort of demeanor and approach. It's like, eh, it's all good. You know, I talk to the drivers. It's like they've got Kimi Raikkonen in charge. <laughs> and of course, you know, Vasseur and, and Kimi were um, working together at Alfa Romeo those last couple of years that um, Kimi was in F1. But yeah, I really don't know. And the fact that, you know, with strategically as well, Ferrari seemed to still want to um, favour Leclerc when there is no championship fight for them at the moment and signs has been quicker at times yet you know gets gets stuffed around yeah like i mean if if rumors are believe rumors are to be believed and there's been quite a few about this but you know signs may not be a ferrari driver for much longer um because he's being headhunted by uh sauber or who've become or audi i should say because you know audi is going to take over Sauber and they're going to come in in 2025 or 20, 
oh, 20, 20, 2026, sorry, when the new engine regulations come in. So, um, yeah, you know, that, that would be a bit of a coup for, for Audi and that would be a very sought-after seat. But, you know, if other rumours are believed to be believed as well, apparently Red Bull are headhunting the likes of Leclerc and, and also Lando Norris. So, you know, Ferrari might end up in a situation where none of their drivers want to drive for him. Maybe um, John Elkin should jump on the phone to Lewis Hamilton again and be like, oh, you want to come drive for my team? Uh, no thanks, it's pretty rubbish at the moment. I'd rather not. I think Mercedes have more of a prospect than Ferrari, even in the long term at the moment, so that's quite sad. That is. Another impressive display for Alex Albon, though, he was quick in practice. He was third fastest, I think, a few, not only in one practice session, but a couple of times. And that Williams working really well, you know, in these conditions so you know if only they just had the resources and infrastructure to be able to develop a car that can be an all-rounder that would that would ideally be the best situation and i think that's also something that um i've heard a lot of noise about in the last few months about teams like williams and whatnot and alpine even who are trying to you know, work or fight the FIA and F1 to, you know, relax some of the rules or the budget cap rules around CapEx expenditure um, or CapEx spending, so to do with their facilities and whatnot. And, you know, Alpine with Enstone is another one that their facilities are from the dark, or not quite the dark ages because that's Williams, Um, but, you know, their facilities are quite outdated as well and whatnot. So, you know, a budget cap can really only properly work is if we, if everyone is sort of on the same playing field in terms of resources and, and their factories and whatnot. And then you look at Aston Martin with their impressive new facility that they've opened at Silverstone. Um, you know, how do you compete with that? Uh, if you're someone like Williams, who seem to be operating out of a barn shed, it seems. Um, but yeah, another impressive display from Albon. Q3 and then finishing eighth in the race as well, scoring points on her, on Holmes Hall, which meant all four of the British drivers were in the top ten. That's amazing, you know, for for all you Brits out there. I mean, you need it because you're going to lose the Ashes despite um, England winning the third Test. Um, but still, you know, take this, take this as a win because the urn is going to be coming back with the Australian team. I'm sure not most not most of you really care about the ashes, but anyway, I need I need something here. I need something. <laughs> um, Logan Sargent, his teammate, was better. I feel this weekend he probably had one of his better best weekends in F1. He finished 11th, but he did make quite a few errors in qualifying. I think there was a moment where he th- forgot that he was a racing driver and had started his own um, Jim's Mowing franchise and was uh, cutting the grass um, on the track. Okay, you know interesting choice of career after f1 if if he doesn't last beyond this year but you know he's another driver that a lot of people feel like um is under pressure to perform and whatnot but again you know like what do you do if if you're a new driver that's just come in and driving for a, a team right at the back i mean yeah like comparing him and alban is chalk and cheese but seriously give it give him a bit of a break i'm sure he'll end up you know staying on for another season like I'll use the example of of none other than, none other than the goat himself, Nicholas Latifi. He came in 
His first season was absolutely horrendous. Yet the second season, we saw him improve with the car as well. We saw him score points um, on a couple of occasions. And then, yes, the third season was absolutely uh, tripe. But, you know, you won't know till you give him a chance. And what, you want to pick put Mick Schumacher in, in the Williams? You know, that would be good. But, you know, give, give Sargent an opportunity for now. We'll talk about it later, <laughs> what happens. Um, Bottas, Valtteri Bottas had a good race as well, despite being disqualified from quali for not being able to provide a fuel sample. It's a slam dunk penalty. If you don't provide a fuel sample or an adequate fuel sample, you get thrown out and have to start from the back of the grid. And he did from P20 work his way up to P12 so good on you Valtteri the mullet and the mustache doing its doing its business you know business at the front party at the back and you know probably one of his better races this year considering Guan Yu Zhou his teammate has been quite impressive and has been beating Valtteri on a very regular basis but that wasn't the case this time because Joe finished 15th um, behind Bottas, Nico Hockenberg 13th, Stroll 14th with that penalty that he got for um, punting um, or going off at the Vale chicane and then coming back on track and <gasps> ram railing Gasly that was you know it's a that's an F123 lobby move I would say um, and then Sonoda and DeFries being the last of the classified runners in 16th and 17th so there you go quite the eventful British Grand Prix, but who would have known reading the news this week because um, Red Bull were too busy hiring and firing drivers. Anyway, I don't think I'll be able to do the F1 calendar chat this time. I'll save that for next time, um, just purely because it gives me something to talk about and fill out an hour, 45 minutes to an hour, which I try and aimed for these episodes to be let's talk about supercars though the townsville 500 talking points as always um already covered off last week about ben gisbergen winning in chicago nascar and everything um and what that might look like moving forwards but he had a pretty shocking weekend returning to supercars it was very incident filled race 16 the first um leg of the the first 250 K race so we had the longer format races this weekend or last weekend I should say with uh, fuel coming into the pit stops as well and multiple pit stops uh, race 16 he tangled with Jack LeBrock at turn 8 um, and finished uh, finished in the points well, you get points for every position in supercar sorry he did finish in the top 10 at the end but he it was a bit um hairy for him and then race 17 which was his 500th race in supercar what a milestone to bring up for any driver tangled with Declan Fraser on the opening lap because he qualified in p20 which is pretty horrific by svg standards um and then got stung uh stung spun by the rookie in the tickford tradey mustang on the opening lap and then did end up finishing in the top five but his sort of end of the race was soured by team orders because he was line astern with teammate Brock Feeney. Um, Gisbergen was quicker, um, but Feeney wanted to finish in fourth because 
of the round win. He would have won the round. Does anyone care about round wins? I don't know. Um, you know, Feeney is higher up in the championship at the moment than than his teammate, or like a position ahead of his teammate, it must be said. But, you know, I don't know. It was a very delicate and interesting sort of situation because we haven't really seen any friction between Feeney and, and Van Gisbergen before. But um, at the end of the day, Van Gisbergen did pull over on the straight um, before the finish line to let Feeney slot back into fourth. So, and team principal Jamie Wincup did say that they will air their dirty, dirty laundry um, when they get back to base after the weekend and discuss it all in private. So hopefully everything is all good. But if, if you're Shane and you're um, not going to be in supercars next year, he's probably not going to really care. He's just, you know, going to kick stones around maybe or just not that bad. I'm sure he loves his Triple Eight team. But he's probably not going to be in it. You know, he's probably checked out. He's thinking of, you know thinking of the American life, you know, maybe joining the bus bros with, with Scotty McLaughlin and <laughs> Joseph Newgarden. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it was a bit of a bit of an incident-filled weekend for, for SVG, but he's still in the title race, you know. All it takes is a is a win at Sandown, you know, 300 points, or, or win at Bathurst, um, 300 points as well on offer for, for winning those races. To, to get him back up there. But we did see a change in the championship lead, though, after race 16, because Will Brown um, in the other Coca-Cola Erebus Camaro um, won from pole position despite Cam Waters getting into the lead on the first lap, but um, and Brown taking SVG wide at turn two, but he was able to regain the lead on lap 23. Um, and May had a 3.3 second win over Brock Feeney. Took the lead off his teammate Brody Kostecki, who had a bit of a bit of a tricky one in in race 16, but bounced back in race 17. I think he did finish on the podium, I believe. I didn't get the results up. This is very silly of me. Yes, Kostecki did finish second in race 17, and Brown was down in six, but it's still a very, very small gap between those two at the top of the championship. Um, and yeah, you know, both both Erebus cars didn't have the greatest weekend in Darwin. They weren't as dominant as they were in the previous rounds, and also um, even in Townsville, yes, Brown took the win, but, you know, they weren't as convincing by comparison to others. Um Chaz Moster took third in race 16 via a three-stop strategy. Very, very unique sort of strategy. And there's a lot more to this, um, which ties back into the whole parity debate. I know, yes, we're getting sick of hearing about parity, aren't we? Just ask Roland Dane, because, you know, he reckons we should just stop complaining about it. I mean, why? Because the championship is not... There's no equality. It's a parity formula. Everyone should be on equal footing. Ford teams shouldn't have to do an extra stop every race just to be able to look after their tyres better. Sheesh. Um, so that was the whole thing about um, uh, the parity thing is that, yeah, even with the changes that they've made with the rear wing and the rear spoiler coming into Townsville, Mostert, his quote after race 16 was, that it feels like we've got no rear wing um and you know just again frustration 
with how things have panned out. You know, like every race is just basically going to be a test session for them for, for the rest of the year. Yes, you've got the individual glory of winning a Sandown and a Bathurst as well, but if they're going through their tyres like they are, you know, they're not going to be anywhere near the front at Bathurst come, you know, the pointy end of the race. So, you know, this is very, very um, still a tricky situation. Uh, But, you know, good on Chaz for trying something different and, you know, getting up there. And we saw that um, also taken advantage of in race 17 because Anton Di Pasquale, who didn't finish the race um, on Saturday, saved a set of tyres um, and was able to do the three-stopper that Chaz did on, on Saturday and win the race, <coughs> uh, win race 17 for Ford's first on-track win of 2023 because you look back to Newcastle race one, Waters was the winner, but it was after both the Red Bull cars were disqualified. So, you know, this is Ford's first legit win of the year, you got to say, or on-track win. Um and people are like, oh, you know, this should be enough to shut up the Ford fans and enough to just say, okay, the, the parody debate is over. No, he had to do three stops and he was lucky that he had an extra set of tyres for not finishing the race on Saturday. That's not how it works. Sorry, it's not how it works. <clears throat> um, But good on Anton and and. Dick Johnson Racing for breaking through. I think this is a real boost for them. Um, Anton's been in 20th in the championship, which, you know, for a 25-car championship and and a team that is, has, has been a regular race winner for, you know, um, not the last decade, but close to a decade, let's say, since, you know, Penske took over and then Penske left and whatnot. They've been a... a, a front-running team quite consistently, and this year they've obviously not got it right. Um, Putting aside all the Mustang issues too, DJR has been one of those teams who've said that. Regardless of that, we've also got things wrong on our end as well, which is why they haven't really made too much of a song and dance about, you know, um, making parity changes. And that's that's really impressive to hear. I'm sure it was if it was other teams, maybe Chevrolet teams. See, now I'm putting my tinfoil hat on <laughs> with a with a blue oval, you know, just you know, pencil it in there too, um, in crayon. Um, saying, you know, if it was a Chevrolet team, then they would all, they would be making more noise about it. Uh, uh, um, yeah, it's, it's been a difficult year for them, but, you know, for him to break through that way, you know, Will Davison has, has been there or thereabouts as well, but again, it's just the car that, you know, can't, um, get him in there, uh, yeah, but good good way to engineer yourself to the front strategy-wise. And he did a short fill in the first stop to get that track position and then give himself the space to make that third pit stop. The safety car for um, Cameron Hill in the middle of the race would have helped as well. And, of course, it was the first win for Di Pasquale since this time last year. Darwin, he won last. And, of course, DJR's first win since uh, Will Davison back in Pukekohe later in later on in 2022. So it is a welcome return to form for them. But, again, I really don't feel 
confident at the moment and I'm sure there's a lot of other fans out there who are not feeling confident with the changes made if you know someone like a Chaz Mostert has come out and made the comments that he did and he he's he's very chill as Chaz we know Chaz he's a very chill kind of guy he's he's larrikin he doesn't come out often and and make comments like that. So, you know, and but neither but neither does Van Gisbergen. But what happened to him? He got stitched up by Mark Scaife at um, Newcastle and told, you have to be an ambassador of the sport. And being an ambassador means you do what I tell you to do because I am the overlord. Essentially. That's 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 what I picture Mark Scaife to be, wearing his very tight jeans as well, and like, oh he's in the wall. Now I'm having way too much fun. Um, but yeah, it was <laughs> going back to Chaz, it was a bit sad then for him to have a second DNF of the season in race 17. Uh, power steering failure on lap four. And I'm sure the the hit that he had against the wall in um, the top 10 shootout as well would not have helped where he did damage his steering through that. So yeah, not, not great. But he's still up there. Like he's still in, in the... St- hunt sort of mathematically for the championship he's you know 243 points behind in fifth so you know he's dropped down to fifth from being you know he was leading the championship after Newcastle and I think after um even the Grand Prix support weekend as well um but he's slowly been drop he's slowly dropping down which is uh a bit concerning but what do you do if you know you're you're hamstrung by limitations with the car that not are not necessarily to do with the team and their setup. It's to do with the fact that the car just is is not on par with the other car in what is meant to be a parody formula. Unbelievable. Uh, seven points between Brown and Kostecki at the top. Twenty six points behind is Feeney, and seventy two points behind. The leader is SVG. Look at Andre Heimgartner, though. He was on the podium again in race 17, and he's doing quite well for Brad Jones Racing to be 6th and 250 points behind. Cam Waters, 309 points, so that's over a round. He's behind there in 7th, and, you know, then other standouts. Jack LeBrock, of course, after his win in uh, Darwin. Mark Winterbottom as well in the top 10, sandwiching Will Davison, and, yeah, you know, Drivers like David Reynolds, who, you know, look really competitive at times, you know, again, down outside the top 10, deeper squally, he moved from 20th up to, to 16th, but it's just bit of a struggle and even James Courtney who at times has looked like Tickford's quickest driver is down in 19 in the standings so it's um yeah not a not a great story if you're if you're a Ford fan or a Ford team at the moment but hey you know don't say that to to Scafie and and to all the other power brokers at supercars because they won't like it um and yeah that, that's pretty much it, I think. So wrap that one up. Um, thank you again for tuning in. Be sure to have a look at the social accounts associated with this podcast at Hit the Apex Media for Twitter, but it is also it also holds a link tree to all the other things. So you'll find my raw writer's profile where I do my F1 live blogs um, and supercars to talking points articles um, Instagram 
grid talk as well because they're fascinating and really lovely people great show they've also got new social accounts so make sure you go suss them out and subscribe and yeah let's enjoy this weekend away from racing and and recharge and recuperate and then we'll go straight into another double header with hungary and belgium until then thanks for tuning in and see you next time